Every entrepreneur is a unique story, but we share some common ground. Piconope offers a fresh perspective on your entrepreneurial challenges, because someone has certainly been through them before. Even if you do not have any business problems, no worries, listening is anonymous. Welcome to The Seed Podcast with Uros Cimjar. Hi, I've been an entrepreneur since my days at university, and I have always loved learning from the more experienced. Even today, I look at every conversation as an opportunity to learn. Ali Jamal is a founding partner at First Check Ventures, an angel syndicate that invests in early-stage startups across the globe. In various roles of a growth and product executive, he was a director of growth and performance marketing at Payclip, Mexico's first fintech unicorn. And prior to that, Ali was the head of performance marketing at Rappi, responsible for generating over 1 billion US dollars in total transaction value per year globally. All his roles are connected with product and growth development, where he combines his passions for strategy, analytics, product, data, marketing, and technology. In this podcast, you will learn how to develop the role of a product and growth manager, where to start when addressing flat growth challenges, how do you run a growth organization, more on communication of growth plans, testing brand building, and leadership of joint teams in today's episode of Picanope Podcast. Hi, Ali. Hi, how are you? Great. Uh, thanks for joining us today on our Humble Podcast. And I'm really excited to discuss with you, let's say, growth, uh, approach to growth and so on. But let's say, looking at your LinkedIn profile, uh, it looks to me that you didn't actually plan on this, this career path, but because it seems that you were taking cookie-cutter approach of investment banking uh, career path. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think Steve Jobs has a great quote where he's like, you can't connect the dots going forward. You can only connect them going back. And, and so now looking back, I can, I can very clearly tell you like, oh yeah, this was my plan the whole time. But in, in reality, it, it was kind of following, you know, what you wanted to do. And, and then it kind of leads you on some crazy path where now everything I've kind of done in my past is all of a sudden coming together. But, you know, I started my career as an investment banker. I... Then worked as a data scientist for several years. But why? Why, why, why the switch? Let's say what what happened. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the biggest things for me was that, that, that investment banking. It's all about your kind of productivity and and producing a lot of work, but not necessarily thoughtful work. Um, and and you know, I, I couldn't do that like the rest of my life. It just wasn't what, what I wanted so, to do. But this, making the same reports all over, over and over again. Yeah, like, like it was great the first time you did it, you learned something. But the 50th time you've done the same thing, it just wasn't really, you know, I wasn't really growing. And, and so I decided to kind of go and do the exact opposite thing where all I would do is grow and learn and ask questions, which is um, what you do as a data scientist. So I made the jump from investment banking um, into data science and, and being able to kind of be more theoretical and ask the questions uh, and answer the questions. So what kind of company was there where you started as a data scientist? Yeah, so it was a, uh, a tech company and it was um, in more of the supply chain and the engineering um, of, of, the, uh, of the company. So being able to think through all these different components of the operations process and the manufacturing process and you know uh, trying to figure out how do we predict how much yield we can get of of a, of a chip or how do we predict uh, how long it will take us to build something and, and 
all these sorts of questions and how do you use data to um, to actually get there? I thought was really interesting. Yeah. So a lot of thinking, a lot of uh, deep thinking, uh, finding patterns, and so on. And were you happy there? Yeah, it, I was. It was you know one of those things where where uh, I really enjoyed being able to think and being rewarded for being able to think. But I missed you know getting things done. I missed kind of having that feeling of being very productive. And so that's kind of what led me into product. What was I felt like it was a good opportunity to combine the thinking, questioning nature of data science with the, you know, requirements and, and, and you know, production of an investment banking. Uh, so, so being able to look at, analyze things, dig in, come up with ideas and experiments, but then ultimately having a very kind of numerical gauge of how well you're doing, you know, how many tests have you run, how, better, how much better is performance now versus when you started. Right, there's kind of a really clear way of saying, okay, I did something and I'm doing a good job, or I did something and I'm doing a crappy job, right? And if like, so, you transitioned to product uh, the same company, or you all again changed uh, companies too? So, I had done parts of it while at that same company, yeah. um, but then decided I wanted to go through a more formal process and and jump to something that was consumer facing. So in 2013, um, I made the jump in to go work for Berzinga, the mobile gaming company. And, um, you know, there was an opportunity to kind of go through a a very formal kind of product management training, product management program, right? Just when product management was really starting to begin. And so I felt like... So 2013, they were already a big company or large company, one of the... yeah. Largest at the time, or were there was still an upstart? Let's say. So they were. They they just gone public. So ah, um, okay. So it was fairly large at that time, um, which was beneficial because there was a, a large number of other product managers that you could learn from and that you could talk to, and and you know they had a formal training program, they had a formal um, mentorship program, and some of these other things that. Uh, I felt like we're very helpful starting out to, um, you know, I had a lot of the skills, but being able to put them all together in, in the right way for product management, it was, it was good to have that kind of formal, uh, formal training. So let's see, what did actually product management look like at Zynga? Let's see, from the outside, outside it looked like uh, highly optimized, using the same book, playbook over and over again uh, successfully. Let's say until the playground changed, uh, but uh, how did they, what did actually your work uh, look like at the time? Let's say as product manager, it was very much that it was very much um, you know somewhat standardized, um, very numerical, analytically driven, uh, kind of constantly looking at different numbers and kind of asking why, and then digging into the next step, and then why, and digging into the next step. So every day, you know, we'd be doing reports hourly. You know about what was happening. There'd be all these different ways to start to think about how to determine if we're doing a good job or not, right? So, how many customers do we have today versus yesterday at this time? How many more customers do we expect the rest of the day? How much money do we expect them to do? How many 
how many of X, Y, or Z do we think that they're going to do in, in you know, So in really operational, let's say, not, uh, let's say, high-level data scientist, uh, insights, thinking, but operational stuff, let's say, uh, keep the cocks in the machine running. Yeah, there, there's a mixture because, you know, the same time you were responsible for doing post-mortems, you were responsible for figuring right. out what's next. And so there definitely was this element of bigger picture thinking and, and, and being able to be uh, being able to be creative coming up with ideas and, and, and you know, thinking outside the box but also a lot of just reporting that on, on on you know did your outside the box thing actually work or, or did it not work and why so let's say it's fine to me because you said okay product but this looks like a, let's say a growth function or marketing let's say it's not so much about uh in my mind product let's say it's also a quality of a product let's say but here we just discussed let's say acquiring users and so on so were there how would you define let's say a good product manager yeah so i've heard a lot of definitions right of, of what a product manager is you know the ones that i i tend to tend to like the most are that, that being the product manager is basically being the mini CEO of that area, right? And so you have something that you're really trying to own. You're responsible for leading the team. You're, you know, setting the, the tone, the structure, digging into data, coming up with the roadmap, sharing that vision with everybody else. So I think it, it very much aligns with what you know you do in your job as, as the, the, the founder and. Uh, you know, I, I think that's why we're seeing more and more um, founders become out of the product background. Yeah. So let's say Zynga then, let's say you acquired a bunch of new skills. So let's say if you could sum up, let's say what actually gave you, uh, what new insights did you get at the pro as a product manager? Let's say what, what did you learn? And I think the biggest thing was, was just how deep to keep on asking that it's very easy in, in, in a lot of things to just ask that one question and then move on. But, you know, when we were looking at something, we would go in, you know, not one layer deep or two layers deep, but we'd go in 10 layers deep, right? And continue to dig in to figure out what was really changing and how these micro changes end up having a big impact on the overall performance uh, this sounds really interesting can you maybe provide an example uh if it's not too yeah so you know with, with something like with retention or or, or your engagement um you know it, it's not just looking at okay current users but how do those current users break down um, so how are people in different segments reacting to your product how are the users that have been there for three months versus the ones that have been there for six months? How are they now engaging with your product this week versus last week? How are the ones that reached this level of progress versus that level of progress, right? The ones that made to level 40, how are we treating them versus the ones that we made to level 50? When we release new content, where are people starting to engage with it and why are they starting to engage with it? So there's always this next level of, of questioning that if you, I mean, with Zynga, right? Basically they were collecting as much data as possible to, to make everything and everyone smarter and better at what we were doing. So 
you can always kind of question more and start to create these interesting intersections of, of you know people that you know are from the U.S. that you know installed the game six months ago that have reached level thirty in the first two weeks and then now haven't used the game in a week and now they're coming back because of X, Y, or Z or you know the new content that we're pushing is engaging to them or not engaging to them and how long are they coming in and what are they doing with it, right? So you can start to dig in so, more and more and, and just ask why and then use data to kind of try to answer that question. So it's about really getting to know your customers on an intimate level, let's say, if I understand correctly. It is, and not just, let's say, a customers like a big blob, but actually like segmenting them, knowing different kinds of customers and so on in, in really in detail. Yeah, I think that that's a huge part of, of how I envision what, what product management is, or at least my, my approach to it. And uh, I think it's also one of those things like uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes or, or Dr. House, right? Everyone lies. So you can ask people what they're, how they're going to feel about whatever, but most of the time they, they just tell you what you want to hear. Um, but or what they want to hear. Or what they want to hear, right? <laughs> but when you look at the data, right, that's when their their patterns really start to emerge. Um, so everybody says, oh, we want this to be easier or we want this to be whatever. And then at the end of the day, right, like even though they might want it to be easier or harder or whatever, like the data is what shows you. And, and you know, like most of the time they're, they're not, they don't actually know what they want or they don't know what makes it interesting to them. It's the data that reveals that. Yeah. So now, let's say in your career path, uh, let's say up to Zynga, you went through, I don't know, let's say three different silos. Let's say so investment, uh, banking, then data scientist, now product manager. Uh, but uh, did you already connect all this, uh, let's say, skills together or it was the next opportunity, let's say, when you jumped ship for a competitor uh, that actually provided you with this opportunity? Yeah, I think it was really when I made the next move to 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 a startup called Rock U, where I was able to bring in to put these different pieces together. Um, so Why? I think it was uh, a lot of the times I'd worked in in you know places where I was more siloed at what I was able to do, and and um, where you're kind of just given a function and that was the expectation of what you were going to be doing. But Rock U was still pretty small, and so I think there was less rules and structure about, oh, you're a product manager, so you can only do this thing, or, oh, you're a data scientist, so you can only do that thing. So when you're small, you can kind of fill in all the different holes and, and you know, get exposure to a lot of different things. So um, you know, I would do a project over here because I thought it was interesting, and then do a project for, for a completely different team because I thought that was interesting. Um, and being able to to you know, kind of use this, this backbone of data and analysis and product and user acquisition and engineering, right? I, th I think what was uh, extremely eye-opening to me. Yeah, so at Rocky, let's say you held also a bunch of different roles uh, and the, the, you ended up, ended up as a director of product uh, in strategy and insights. Yes. Uh, let's say, so it's a really nice uh, title, but... Uh, <laughs> what did you actually do? Yeah. That? So, um, Rock U had a strategy around uh, acquiring uh, acquiring games that that 
from, from other studios and, and trying to stabilize them and then, um, and, and then kind of revamp them. So a lot of what I was doing was analyzing these different, uh, different games, these different products, digging into their numbers, um, seeing where users were engaging, where they weren't, what was monetizing, what wasn't, coming up with different strategies for how to optimize the, the, the plan and then the operation, the, the engineering team, um, you know, coming up with different ways we could maybe um, change the product, different things that have worked on one set of games that we could bring to this new set of games. You start to kind of build up a, a toolkit of, of strategies that have worked. And, and so um, a lot of it was kind of on this analysis of, of these potential acquisitions and which one should we acquire, which one shouldn't we acquire, how much should we be willing to pay for them, um, and what can we do with them when we actually acquire them. And then, you know, not only was I supposed to be theoretical of, oh, yeah, we can do X, Y, and Z, but then when we actually acquired them, I was responsible for actually implementing it. So if I had said, okay, we're going to, you know, change their attention by doing this project, once we actually made that acquisition, I was the one that actually had to go and do that project. So it was you know, a really interesting experience. So you actually brought, let's say, all your skill set up to this point together because, let's say, investment banking, uh, doing analysis and so on, uh, data scientist, product, let's say, all, let's say, all of us, let's say, uh, merged into this role because you're in, uniquely qualified <laughs> right now. If you look back, <laughs> you're in, uniquely qualified to do this. Uh, okay, what? But then, to me, let's say, if I'm again looking at your LinkedIn profile, you completely switched, uh, uh, let's say, this career path. It just looks to me, let's say, from this product-oriented, uh, let's say, to display mobile growth and so on at Agoda. Uh, why? <laughs> Were you not happy, let's say? It, you found your spot. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, it was... I had been at, at Rock U for, for about four years at that point. You know, your growth curve starts slowing down. Um, you know, I'm always kind of looking for what to do next. I looked around the valley and to be honest, I felt like I was trapped on that show, Silicon Valley, um, where I would go and I would talk to, you know, big firms and it felt like I was talking to Huli. And then I would go and I would talk to the startups and, you know, they were building pizza delivery robots and like, okay, people, you know, pizza delivery robots are cool, but like, not really, right? Or I'd talk to like, like multiple companies that were, you know, doing GIFs or, or emojis or, or keyboards. And it was just like, okay, like, I don't want to spend the next five years of my life doing that. Um, and so started thinking about where, where can I have, you know, a bigger impact and then ended up getting a call from a recruiter about, you know, moving to, to Bangkok to join Agoda. I actually went and interviewed there for, for product roles mainly. And, you know, it was interesting, but it, again, it just felt like you're going to be, you know, sort of like Huli again, where you're going to be product manager 435, just focusing on the like button or, or whatever, and not really being able to own and drive bigger things. And my last interview while I was there was with uh, their CMO. And uh, he was a former data scientist. He had done work in product and, and now was leading their marketing. And he said, you know, hey, I have this opportunity. 
that I think could be really interesting. And I hadn't really thought about working in, in marketing like or, or part of the marketing org. I had done growth and user acquisition at uh, Rock U, so I already had a lot of the, the exposure there. I hadn't really thought of it as a full-time career. And then, it, you know, I think getting the chance to work for somebody who was also very analytical and data-driven and, and being able to kind of speak the same language, I felt like was very important to me. And oftentimes, I think uh, I end up choosing roles where, where I'm going to be working with people who I want to work with and people who I think I can learn from. But uh, let's say what 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 you now learned. Let's say at uh, this new company. Let's say what additional skill set uh, is now in your tool bag that uh, wasn't there before. You know, I, I think there was actually quite a bit. One of the things that is really it was really surprising to me was just how data driven Agoda was as a company. So I thought I knew what, what data driven was working in gaming and coming from Zynga um, and in some of these other places, but I felt like. Agoda really took it to a whole new level um, where everything was basically done based on KPIs and really using KPIs almost as a currency, right? And of how much time should we invest, how much do we expect out of it, all kind of came down to, uh, to, to the numbers and to the data and, and you know, everything from you know, C-level executives to junior people on my team making decisions where we're always kind of talking about things in terms of, of KPIs, which was really surprising to me. I, I felt like most places I'd worked at in the past, there was always people who weren't on board or who weren't going to be using data or numbers to justify what they were doing. And I felt like I didn't go to, it was just part of their nature that everything had to have that data component to it. Could we explore this a little bit? Let's say uh, KPIs as currency. This sounds uh, like a nice sound bit, and I would like to know a little bit more. That's about this approach, uh, this thinking. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think it's something that I've, I've kind of adopted in my uh, in, in my life as well. But um, when when you start to think about every project that you work on, at the end of the day, that there's some amount of investment, there's some amount of potential reward. And when you start to look at all these different potential rewards in the same format, right? So whether that's, you know, dollars, bookings, sales, whatever, then everything that you're doing, you can kind of start to think about the ROI of that investment. So if you expect one project to have 5,000 qubits and the next one to have 10,000 qubits, you can then look at, okay, well, how much investment am I doing to get that 5,000 qubits out versus the 10,000 qubits out? You know, and, and if the thing that, that brings you 10,000 is less than 2x the difficulty or 2x investment, then it makes it a much easier decision to go and put your time after that. And there's always some amount of you know, individual decision or rationality about how realistic are these expectations or how realistic is this potential investment. But I think it starts to make it much easier when you're able to look at, at things in, in that sort of overall potential impact way and, and using that to start to shape your product roadmap, your marketing roadmap, your, your growth roadmap, I think is, is really vital. So there's there is a prerequisite, let's say, to be able to do this, to be really good at business modeling, let's say, because you have to model your business really well for this to work, let's say. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, I think you need to be able to think about your business really well, 
I don't know, like the whole point of this spray is that you get better over time with the modeling. So it's okay if you're off in the beginning, right? You then use that to adjust your decisions for the next time you have that process. But I think it's important that even in the beginning, you start to use some of these principles when you just decide what you want to build or where you want to build. And even as a, you know, individual, right? Um, when you think about, should I put my time towards doing X or should I put my time towards doing Y? You start to think about the potential rewards for these different things, the likelihood of those rewards. And that ends up kind of creating the framework that I think you should take across everything that you're kind of doing. Okay, interesting. And uh, let's say this brought you to Payclip, a uh, fintech startup in Mexico. Yes. Yeah, I currently lead growth and performance marketing for them. Yeah. So now it's cool together. Let's growth and performance marketing. Do you think it's uh, it makes sense to put these roles together? Yeah, I think there actually uh, there, there's a lot of overlap in, in how 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 these things are approached, um, and and having them under one person makes it much easier to kind of iterate. So. Working previously when I was in uh, you know, companies like, like Rock U or, or, or Zynga or whatever, and I was just focusing on, on product. It's really easy to kind of blame the marketing guys. Like, oh, these marketing guys are bringing us crappy users. That's why you know, this whole funnel sucks, right? And then it's easy when you're just working in marketing at Agoda to be like, oh, yeah, we're bringing in great leads, but these product guys don't know what they're doing. So that's why the, the product sucks. But now... Right, like I can't blame anybody. If if it sucks, it's me. Right, like it's it's both. They're both my teams, and you know, on one side I'm getting the leads, on the other side I have to convert those things. So I think it really makes sense to put them under the same umbrella because um, there's there's just much more information that can then flow back and forth. And the instead of waiting, you know, three months or six months for the next quarterly update, you know you're getting it real time when the guy sitting next to you is doing one thing and you know, you're doing something else. Then, then you can understand why, you know, this week we might have better users that we acquired because we bid up more on this thing or, you know, this week we did this AB test and, and that changes, you know, how much, what our CAC looks like because we were able to convert a higher number of users coming in. So I think when these things can start to work together, it makes it much easier and, and, and uh, just getting much more insights much more rapidly. So one person should be responsible for the whole funnel, let's say. No, no divide between marketing and sales or let's marketing and monetization and so on. I, I think that it's beneficial to have them have them together. And I think that's kind of the point of having, you know, the, this kind of growth marketing hybrid team. And, and you know, I, I like the fact that the buck can stop with one person, right? That you can be like, hey, what's going on, right? And, and I can adjust what I need to adjust in order to make things happen, right? Um, I think you're starting to see more and more companies start to adopt that that viewpoint as well. Okay, so now we really did a quick run through, let's say, through your career up, up until now. I would like to explore a little bit more, let's say, now your outlook on growth, let's say. So maybe we can do it through Payclip or maybe let's say hypothetical new opportunity. Uh, let's say now 
you approach, let's say, problem, you are now in charge of growth, let's say. So where do you start? What's the, how do you set up the process? How do you tackle the problem? How do you get acquainted? So let's say for an entrepreneur that uh, maybe has a company, but it's, uh, it's in a good uh, area, uh, let's say in a good uh, sector, but it's like flat and he would like to jumpstart the growth, let's say, yeah. where to start. But, so I think the way that I usually recommend to approach things is to understand your funnel, right? And you can start even very basically, right? With, with okay, well, what's the end result of the funnel? The end result of the funnel is customers or the end result of the funnel is purchases or the end result of the first revenue. And then what's the start of the funnel, right? Well, how many visitors do we have to our website? How many people see our ads, whatever, right? And you can start with these two points and then continue to double click into them and double click into them. Okay, well, we know how many people landed on our webpage. How many of them land, like, stayed more than 20 seconds, right? And that gives you some insight. How many of those that stayed more than 20 seconds clicked on a button? How many of those that clicked on a button went to this, added to their cart? How many of them that, you know, all these different processes, all this different information. And when you start to understand this whole thing end to end, you start to come up with ideas about where you can move the needle, right? The, the idea is that you want to find that low hanging fruit, wherever it is, and, and start to improve it, right? So wherever you think you can make an impact, you, you've tried out. Kind of going back to this whole idea of using, using things as, as currency, right? When you look at the end to end of your customer journey, of, of your funnel or whatever, you can uh, start to put some numbers behind it and, and start to figure out where should I focus my time? Uh, so the more you know your customer, the more you know um, that journey, the better off you are with figuring out what you can improve. Could you maybe provide an example from, let's say, uh, your past uh, of this low-hanging fruit that you identified? How did you find it? How did you then tackle it? Sure. Yeah. So, so there's, there's a lot of different examples kind of throughout. You know, part of it is when you've looked at a lot of different things, you can understand what good looks like across the board. When you haven't looked at that many things and your product is unique or, or, or whatever, you have to make some guesses, right? So is 1% of users getting from this step to that step, is that a good number or a bad number? You don't usually know unless you try to move something and, and try to change it and see if you can make it, you know, higher or lower, or if you can have an impact at all. Um, so when I took over some of the different games that I looked at, you know, you'd look at, at the funnel, you'd look at the daily active users, you'd figure out where are people coming in from? Are they coming in from, you know, push notifications? Are they coming in from email reminders? Are they coming in from seeing an ad? Are they coming in when their friends come in? Are they coming in every day at the same time? Right. So you can start to just ask these questions about even basic things like how do we get our users in the first place? And then when you know how you get your users in the first place, um, how quickly after they see your email, do they come in? Um, how long do they stay after they see your email? If you change the time of the email to different people or are they doing it on um, or by time zone? If you have it go out every day at 5 p.m., no matter the time zone, right? How do you start to make something that can be engaged with in, in a more meaningful way. When I'm listening to you now, I get a feeling that this was like a sequence of a lot of experiments, let's say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, no, so, exactly. uh, there's just a lot of questions you can kind of constantly ask, right? So whatever question that you think is, is the most interesting or, or where you think you can see something that, uh, you know, you question, that's where I usually suggest people start. Right? Okay. So if I understand you correctly, let's say, so you have a lot of questions. Now you have a model, let's say, because you analyzed customer journey, you have some KPIs, some factors, some conversions, something like that. If you have experience from the same field, you know what's good, what's not, where you can improve. If not, then you have to experiment. Uh, and then when you have this, this different set of questions, like 20, 30, 40, you look at like an investment manager, let's say. So if I change this KPI, how will the end result affect the end result? And the one that has the best ratio between the investment and the potential output, the, this one you choose and then start uh, experimenting on. Yeah. Is this uh, okay summary? Uh, that's exactly exactly how I would, I would yeah. say it. Yeah, yeah. So okay, uh, looking at the life as a, f- a fund manager, or like uh, looking at your job and the opportunities, is not something really usual. Let's say you don't find it in a lot of people. Let's say it's a, it takes a probabilistic way of thinking, and it's something that. Uh, let's say, as we found out in this situation, people are not really used to. Yeah. So how do you then deal with this challenge of explaining yourself and your thinking to the other team members, to the other executives, to really get your point across, let's say, to, to be able to follow this uh, kind of uh, thinking and do it stuff this way? Yeah, it can definitely, it can definitely be a challenge. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, if you can start to put dollars behind what you're saying, People might not exactly understand the experimentations that you're doing, but if you can say, hey, we've generated Y amount of return, or we're now acquiring users at you know, 40% of what we acquired them at this time three months ago, right? people, start to, uh, people start to respond. So I, th- I think from, from that standpoint, it, it's trying to find the common language that you can, uh, that you can, you can explain what you're doing with. And it is different to different people, right? So when you're talking to artists or, or, or stuff like that, they might not you know, talk about it in terms of, of the financial impact, but they might be able to understand you know, how much more time it gives them or how much more uh, opportunity it gives them, right? So, so finding that right way to connect uh, the, what you're focusing on with, with the broader audience and, and how to have that currency discussion with them I think it's really kind of the key to getting people on board with, with this approach. Okay, so now let's say we know how the process works, let's say on a high level, uh, how to communicate to other people. Uh, can we now, let's say, look at how to actually set up, let's say, some experiment or something like that? Do you use some kind of frameworks? Uh, is Because this should probably... Uh, well-run machine, let's say, to be able to do experiment after experiment after experiment, or maybe even concurrent experiments. So for some entrepreneur, let's say, that's now listening to, to us, how should they approach to actually testing things out and see what, what kind of result is actually a good result, what kind of result is un- inconclusive? Uh, could you yeah. elaborate on that? I like to tell people a couple of, of key things around this. Everything needs to be tested. Not everything needs to be tested right away. So like, yes, you have 50 things that you're going to test. Great. 
but you don't need to try to do that all, all right now. Come with the things that you think are going to be big. Um, now, especially when we're talking about entrepreneurs, um, you know, I think one of the things to realize is that you don't you, like very rarely do you strike oil the first time, right? So you're doing some things that are probably unoptimized. So when you think about um, making a change, don't make a little change. Don't, don't just go from, you know, light blue to turquoise blue, right? Try something completely different. Try something out of the box because you'll see then if, if the numbers swing one way or the other, if you're on the right path or not, right? So if, uh, when you think about whatever it is, your marketing tactics or, or whatever, maybe switch off one of the channels and try something else completely different or, um, you know, try to see what happens if you drop people into a completely different page or a completely different flow and, and try out these bigger things. And then as you get more data, as you get more experience, you could then start to make more of these micro micro changes, right? But in the beginning, just realize that I don't know what I'm doing or, or there wasn't necessarily something that was really well thought out in the beginning. Now I have the chance to ask it and, and take these bigger swings with what I'm doing. So, um, you know, you can. But what are, are you looking at? Let's say, are you look, always looking at the end results? I don't know, bookings or, or revenue, or are you looking at uh, some KPI in the middle uh, of the funnel? What's something that you show optimized for? And is it always like a bit testing, or can you just do one month you do? One approach, another one to do another approach. How, how do you actually approach to this in the company that's not uh, that doesn't have this in the culture? Yeah, I, I think A/B testing is the only real way to know if what you're doing is really changing. If you're just um, doing something one month and then not the next month, right? Then who knows if if the results were because of what you did or, or something else outside, right? So if you have all the users going in, splitting, you're splitting them up randomly, then you can get a better insight in, into, into why things are, are happening the way they're happening. Uh, I think, again, when, when you're going back and you're starting to think about, um, you know, what tests should I run? Um, you know, I think there's also kind of a reason about why you're running them as well, right? So kind of trying to figure out what your objective is for your process, right? Like, like, don't everything that you're doing every time you do an experiment, it should be with the specific point of trying to gain knowledge about something. So, you know, you don't run an experiment just to run an experiment. You run an experiment because you want to learn. You have a hypothesis. You have some idea. Um, and and so, because of that, uh, I, I think when you're thinking about what to do next or or how to how to build the next thing, you come up with different hypotheses. You start to rank the likelihood of those different things being true, even just within your own mental framework, and then use that to kind of guide your, your roadmap and, and your future testing plans. What's interesting to me that you said, uh, let's use the phrase, uh, gain knowledge about something and not to prove my hope or disprove my hypothesis, let's say. So is this, this shows to me, let's say like uh, attitude uh, difference, let's say, because uh, is it for you, let's say, if the test is unsuccessful, experiment is unsuccessful, 
is this a failure or not? No, not at all. Right. Like, like, um, for first, like, what, what does the failure actually mean? Does the failure mean there wasn't a big difference between the two? And maybe, you know, maybe that's a good thing, right? Maybe, maybe that area is pretty stable no matter what you do and you don't need to focus on it. Um, is a failure because it went horribly wrong and you lost a lot of users doing that, you know, experiment? Well, that means you were doing it right the first time, right? That it actually validates what you were doing, right? So, so, so if you, uh, you know, well, what, were you doing before that was good? What are the things that, how does that compare to like your new plan or your new idea that failed? And, and how do we make it, how do we make the old thing even better? Right. How do we make it even more old, like, or whatever, right? Like, like what, what is the thing that was unique about that, that, that made, made the results better. So I think with everything that we're trying to do, right. It's about gaining knowledge and realizing that we have to iterate constantly. We have to constantly be changing, right. You're never going to have, a finished product, you're always going to have to try to get a little bit better. Um, I think that goes not just towards, uh, you know, product or growth, but I think also like as a human being, right? We have to try to get a little bit better. Um, Every so day. I think that's you know, one of one of the yeah. big things in in life. What would what you, would you say, let's say, to somebody, let's say, from creative uh, side of the? Uh, company or something like that that will say, okay, this takes out all the creativity from the marketing. It's, it's, there's no inspiration. There's no insight. Uh, it should be about uh, good feelings and create, creating something new and you're just treating it like a f- uh, math formula. So I, I think, I think, I think it's both, right? I, th- I think you can have the, this creative aspect there and we can test it, right? That's the whole beauty of having data and having numbers is I could be wrong. I have no problem being wrong. I'm wrong a lot, right? Like, let's admit that. But, you know, maybe you're wrong, right? And why not test it out? Like, like the worst thing that happens is we get more information and either it proves you right that you were creating these wonderful feelings. Um, and, and, you know, that's amazing. And we should try to double down on that more, right? Like, it's not like we find out um, we find out that you were right and, and we're going to cut your budget, right? We find out you're right and we give you more money. Like, like if people took that approach that, um, you know, the one that, that, you know, that everybody gets tested, everybody shows what they're doing. And then we work, we double down on things that are working, but more money, more effort, more whatever there, um, you know, then we can learn and we can get better. What about, let's say, testing uh, brand building or uh, this kind of advertising that takes not days, weeks, but takes months uh, of investment. Can this be done? Yeah, so it definitely can be done. I think part of it is even with this idea of brand building, um, you know, do you, the whole beauty of the, the digital world or, or however you want to put it, right, is that we can run an experiment to test it out. So we can run an experiment where we, you know, put more brand advertising in one neighborhood versus another, in one country versus another, right? And we can see if, if that brand building um, ends up making it easier to acquire users, makes it a better funnel, blah, 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 later on down the line. We can run one test in, in, in one city and another test in another city and do it for three months or six months, right? Like all these things can be 
can be done within within a framework, right? Just acknowledging what we're doing um, and then building it from there. Yeah. Okay. So you can test even, uh, let's say, long-running experiments, like six months. And how do you know that then, uh, that uh, let's say, that actually you were measuring the effect of uh, brand branding and it's not some other changes that happened in the six months time because probably some other change also happened. So what would I, what I would do in, in that situation is you'd have controls, right? So you have, uh, you have a neighborhood that you are doing experiment in, you have another neighborhood where you're not doing experiment in. And you can see how that control is doing compared to the experiment, whether that's a neighborhood, a city, a country or, or whatever, right? You can constantly look at, at how is, you know, how easy is something in this region then after we, we put this effort into brand building and, and you can tease out the effects. You can use data to figure out how much of that was directly because of you and how much of it was just natural. Okay. So let's say through your career, you started as a, let's say, person who wanted to do stuff. Then you did stuff, let's say, Zynga. And now you're leading other people doing stuff, let's say. Yeah. Uh, so this transition, let's say, from uh, being actually the one that implements things, that implements your idea, uh, to being the person who leads a team, let's say, what's different now? Uh, and how, how do you, let's say, deal with these challenges of uh, leadership? Yeah, I think it, it's been multiple challenges like, at, at the same time. So uh, one of the things is that I've also been you know, switching into different industries. So I've been trying to um, get caught up, whether that's now in fintech, before that was a super app, before that was a travel company. And, and so every industry has its own, own set of, of challenges. Um, I've also been doing a lot of this work in markets that, that are new or, or, or that are new to me, at least. So, you know, working in, in countries like Thailand and then, you know, in Colombia and now in Mexico um, has added an additional challenge of not just um, coming into a new industry, um, coming into a new team, trying to manage people from a, a culture that's different than, than yours, where, you know, maybe your style isn't uh, as as received in the same way that you attend it, right? There's all these different cultural things yeah. and, and, and uh, other things there. You, you wouldn't believe, let's say, the difference between Slovenia and Italy. You can get so much of, uh, let's say, these small differences there where your communication style actually completely affects the conversation and nothing is heard because you did a small mistake, let's say, uh, like not respecting the time for lunch, let's say, because in Italy this is really important. Is there something like uh, that that you... Uh, came across in, I don't know, Thailand or in some of these cultures where you had to adjust? Yeah. So, you know, it's it, again, it's, it's different for, for every every company, every team. But I think one of the big things is, you know, in, in the US, there's, at least for most of the, my career, it has like hierarchy hasn't been a big thing. Right? I think in investment banking, hierarchy is a big thing. But the rest of it, it was kind of like, whatever, right? Like, like, like everybody sort of fought and that's kind of just naturally how it is. Um, and now working in, in some of these other cultures, hierarchy means a lot, right? And, and uh, I'm also going from you know, being an individual contributor or managing a small team to managing a much bigger team. And so one, not only is hierarchy a bigger thing, but 
what I say has much more of an impact or has much more meaning than what I'm used to. Right. And, and so, you know, it'd be one of those things where you're like, oh yeah, and blah, blah, blah. And then people take like the blah, blah, blah is what you're actually supposed to do. Right. And blah, blah, blah was just an yeah. example. But now all of a sudden I come back like a week or two weeks later, I was like, what are you guys doing with blah, blah, blah. And like, that was like some stupid thing that I said, I wasn't actually wanting you guys to go and do that. And take and one, of, one of my learning experience was, let's say when I was uh, growing the team and so on, it, there was a sentence that actually haunted me like, around like for a year and a half. And it was like, Uror said this because uh, we were just chit-chatting, I don't know uh, about something. And I shared my opinion and because there were like, two levels below me or something like that. And then the, their leader came to me, did you actually told my team member to do this? No, 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 no. And then I tried with disclaimers. Okay, maybe you can try this, but don't say that I said it. And it didn't help. And then they just learned to shut up because uh, it, it was the only uh, thing that worked for me. Did you find some other strategy that works? Because I was really happy. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so I've been trying to let people know that I'm an idiot as often as possible. And, and <laughs> like... Have, have those disclaimers in the conversations. Like when I say this, I don't mean to actually do it. When I say this, I mean it as an example. I expect you guys to have actually thought about this over the next two weeks to have something better than whatever, you know, random line I tell you right now. Right. Um, and, and yeah, that works sometimes. Um, sometimes people refuse to believe I'm an idiot and still just kind of copy word for word what I said, which is, 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 is sad. Um, cause I am an idiot, so let's just admit it and let's move on. <laughs> okay. Uh, so an idiot, an idiot that is aware of this and tests everything. Exactly. Like, that's the thing. I think, yeah. you know, I, I know that I'm an idiot, and so that's why I want to test everything. But I think the people that just know that they're right or, or have, like, I don't get it. Like, I think there's no way to know how human every human being is going to respond to something. There's no way for us to know that that, this thing that we're doing is right. We need data to show it. Um, and, and so I, I appreciate the conviction, but bring data, right? Like I'm much more likely to believe your opinion if you have data to back it up. And, you know, no matter what I'm doing, right? If, if even if I think what I'm doing is, is right, if you have data that proves it otherwise, I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to change what I'm doing. I'm going to adjust it, right? Like not to think about being a human being, we have to adapt. So if, if you know, we want to adapt, we want to get better, we want to get smarter, you have to have data to kind of judge and shape that for you. But isn't there, uh, let's say, uh, a danger that you're not measuring something, that there is some uh, external factor, let's say, that you're, uh, that you're not measuring and you're basing your decision on an uh, incomplete data set? Yeah, there's always, there's always that as a question, right? So, so we're constantly having yeah. to uh, refine our tools, refine our outlook, you know, we don't always have to measure directly for the, the one KPI. We can look at other KPIs that are lead-ups to that KPI. You know, we can have proxies. We can have overall big picture. Like, we can set up information, right? And as long as we're questioning and we're growing and we're learning, I think we're setting ourselves up for, for success, right? So, yeah. it's when we don't question that we set ourselves up for failure. Yeah, when I'm now discussing, let's say, KPIs with uh, our portfolio CEOs, I always, uh, let's say, wanted them to have them uh, come into the doubles, let's say. So to have a KPI and a counter KPI so that you measure, if you optimize for something, something else will go down. And you should know what what, what, the what, what will decrease. Yeah. 
uh, because otherwise you run you run the risk, let's say, of let's say really having something out of balance and you're not aware of it. So let's say KPIs in my mind should should be should come into let's say into pairs. But uh, let's say now you're leading the team. How how are you communicating with the team? Let's say let's say how are you delegating stuff? Uh, is it just let's say are you really top down? You should test this. You should improve this KPI. Did you delegate uh, KPIs among the teams? How do you run a growth organization? Let's say. So I, I think it's a mixture, right? Like I, I think it, it, a lot of it has to come bottoms up. And my job is more to just kind of shape that versus um, direct that. But, you know, it, a lot of it will, I think, naturally get shaped by the KPI. So I think having that conversation with the teams about what your KPI is, why we're focusing on that. And again, it can change, right? Like, like we can be looking at one thing for, for this quarter and something else next quarter or next year, right? As, as we evolve, as we get more info, we adapt. But um, you know, if, if we know and we're, we're all looking at what do we want to improve um, and what KPR are we looking at to improve, that starts to shape our roadmap. That starts to shape our ideas. That starts to shape our experiments, right? And, and so um, when everybody kind of can understand or agree about what KPI we're, we're doing, then we start talking the same language. Then we start thinking about things the same way. And then we start eating, breathing, sleeping, trying to trying to move the needle and trying to have an impact. So I, I try to make it as bottoms up as, as possible, you know, but but with each KPI, you know, there's, there's always that counter KPI, but there's also like components of that KPI, right? So there's always the, the two things that, that end up combining together to equal that KPI. So, you know, if you look at revenue, revenue is, you know, users times revenue per user and then within users right it's new users versus old users and with the old users it's old users that installed a week ago versus old users installed more than a week ago then it's blah 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 and you could keep on dividing it up right and come up with an idea about what the fundamental thing is that we need to change and then start to use that to drive our conversations to drive our roadmaps to drive our our engagement um so i think when when we're thinking about when we're thinking about these conversations, we're thinking about the roadmaps. I think it has to come from within the team. Having somebody like me who is doing this with multiple teams, just coming in and telling you guys what to do, isn't isn't going to be helpful for any of us, right? Like I think my job is more to provide those tools for you, to ask those additional questions, those additional whys, to make sure that that you're focusing on the right things. But ultimately, I think it needs to come from the team itself and have the team all understand what they're doing and not just following somebody's order, but really that, that they're building what they think they need to build in order to get the result they think they need to get. So listening to you, I say, what I heard is, let's say, a leader should build a culture uh, and make, let's say, KPIs visible so that everybody start discussing the same thing and then things just happen in the right way. Is this something that uh, could be a takeaway, let's say, of uh, let's say how to lead a growth organization oriented towards growth? Yeah, I, I would say that. I would say that completely, right? I, I would say yeah. that um, any organization, right? Like it's all about the people. And, and if you build the right culture, if you build a, a culture where we all acknowledge that we're all idiots, right? And that we all have to question things, that we all have to 
test everything out, you know, that that's how we're going to get better. That's how we're going to get sharper. That's how we're going to get to, to the results that we want to see. Um, and so I, I think it's, you know, again, trying to find people that are going to ask those questions, trying to find that even, you know, at least from what I found when I, when I interview people or, or when I, uh, when we hire people, right. The, the ones that ask questions the first day are the ones that keep on asking questions. Right. And the ones that just, you know, that are, that are quiet, that, that aren't, that aren't, aren't responding, aren't activated, aren't, aren't questioning, right. Are the ones that end up disengaging and, 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 and being not, not fitting in long-term, right. Because I think that there's something very innate about questioning the world around you um, that we have to try to look at it, try to get ourselves to be better. I really like this mantra, we're all idiots. Let's say I will copy that, uh, use it. So thank you. I'm just, I'm stealing it. Uh, but uh, let's see, maybe the last question uh, for our today's conversation, a little bit different one. So if you would have to give one advice to somebody, let's say now, uh, starting up on uh, this growth path for the company, let's say on this scientific approach, what would it, would it be, let's say, to make life for them easier? What, what should they be aware of? I think one, one of the things that I, I think is extremely important in, the, in this role is to take that analytical questioning mindset everywhere you go, right? So I think part of that, I think, is, is having a strong analytical base. So if you're really just starting out, I would try to pick up that, you know, the, those tools, like whether it's SQL, whether it's math, whether it's stats, whether it's engineering, having that kind of hard numerical background there. And then acknowledging that you're an idiot, acknowledging that you have a lot of things to learn and, and starting to figure out where, where can I learn from? Who's going to be the, the mentor that's going to guide me, that's going to push me, that's going to shape me, right? So I think I've been lucky in my career to have people that asked why, people that pushed me in the right direction or threw you in the right direction, you know? And, and so if you're really just starting out, trying to go and find those kind of people who can teach, coach, mentor, push, right? To do to where you want to be. Because I think learning from those, those right people can, can really make or, or break a large part of, of how your experience of, of what you're doing and, and how much you can learn. I think it really gets shaped by, by, by those people around. Thanks, Ali. I believe this is perfect end to our conversation. And thank you again for sharing, uh, let's say, your story and your outlook on how to grow business. Thank you. Thank you. It was really great to, to be here. Are you an entrepreneur? You want to grow faster, but don't know how? Join the conversation at SIT Slovenia, where like-minded entrepreneurs and founders share experiences and know-how. More on www.ceed.si. Pick on up a podcast where sharing experiences supports your business growth.